On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Hi and welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz and I'm your moderator today um, with Professor Wilson who's on the line and we are going to uh, be taking um, up the uh, the clarion call, Professor Wilson, I feel like, of the continuation of just a recap of the Affordable Care Act, as you said uh, before we went live, that it's probably going to be an ongoing thing for a while. So um, go ahead and get started, and uh, I am always on the lookout for questions for those of us uh, who are here live. So if you have any questions at any time, go ahead and uh, paste them in. And for those of you listening um, in the archives, welcome. There is a handout on our website, so you can go to the ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com, click on the little icon for current issues in the Constitution, find this class, and then it will say um, Affordable uh, Care Act and uh, Abortion is what this topic is going to be today. And then you'll find the handout there. So, Professor Wilson, are you ready to get started? Yes, Felice, let's get into it. Okay. All right. And hello, everyone. Um, I want to summarize, basically, and it's amazing to me uh, today how the news stories and the news headlines are pretty much the same as they were a week ago. Um, uh, this is a story that won't go away. I'm sure the White House would love it very much if it would go away, like Syria did, um, or other stories, uh, Libya, for example. But this one just won't seem to go away. And I, I would like to try to get across to you why. But first, there's another uh, Kathleen Sebelius, Secretary of the Human Health and Human Services, hearing today in Congress after this show, um, why don't you take a look, um, go to C-SPAN perhaps, and uh, maybe you could tune in on that if it's not already finished. Um, and if not, it'll be in the news tonight, it'll be in the news tomorrow. Um, so take a look at that, and probably nothing, in these hearings not much of anything happens. Uh, Kathleen Sebelius is well prepared, she's got her talking points, she knows what she's going to say. She's anticipated questions. She has even gone into a room with aides and practiced uh, her testimony. Um, many of the uh, congressmen tell her in advance what questions they're going to ask. So sometimes it's just a facade, uh, uh, virtually a, f a political farce. Uh, but sometimes, once in a while, um, a, a congressman from the other side of the aisle, let's say a Republican, uh, gets very pointed and very tense, and uh, Sibelius might know, not know that the question is coming. It can be very interesting. Sometimes things are revealed. 
But mostly these people are professional politicians, and they are very good at covering the truth. Nonetheless, watching, uh, tuning in, watching this would give you a very good sense uh, of how our Congress works and how a public hearing works, although you could probably also get that tomorrow in the news videos. Um, Fox News is a good place to go, and so is CNN. All right, now let's summarize. Um, the Affordable Care Act, as you know, was passed in 2010, and the legislation, the language in the legislation, said that it would be um, it would be implemented beginning October the 1st, 2013, and we have already uh, started doing that. Uh, lots of problems with the website, as you know, and the culprit now. Everybody's still looking for somebody to blame and trying to decide who to blame. We're going to blame the president. We're going to blame Harry Reid. Uh, we're going to blame, blame all the Democrats in Congress that voted for us. Do you know that not one single Republican voted to pass that piece of legislation back in 2010? So we could blame all the Democrats. Uh, we could blame Sebelius. Uh, another name, of course, popped up, and I mentioned it last week. Um, I didn't know remember her name at that time. Her name is Marilyn Tavener. Marilyn Tavener, and she's the head of the of Medicare. Well, she was asked to set this up, and I learned a couple of days ago that what they did was they they need the software and they need the servers and they need all that stuff. It's going to cost I think something like a billion dollars. That's a heck of a lot of money um, just to set up the the website and all the things necessary to allow people to register. So they put it out for bid. It's like there's a, uh, a a highway project or they're going to build a bridge in Florida um, and they put it out for bid and 10 different construction companies put in their bid, naming their price. Well, that's, that's what happened um, with the Affordable Care Act and they chose, they accepted the lowest bid. Now, I've had a, you know, I'm the president of the board of directors here in my neighborhood and we have... Um, we have concrete streets, and once in a while we have to replace concrete. And a long time ago, before I was on the board, they put it out on bid, and they took the lowest bid, and these guys would come in and uh, repair the concrete, and then 10 years later, uh, the concrete was breaking and sinking again, 10 years later. So uh, recently we have um, decided we found a contractor that does excellent work. His concrete stays uh, for decades, and... We no longer put it out on bid. Well, the federal government put the ACA out on bid. They took the cheapest uh, price, and so they got the cheapest product. And uh, there are all kinds of problems with it, and it's going to be there. It's going to be a problem for a very long time. But let me uh, summarize five points. First of all, we were promised, the American people were promised, that they would not lose their insurance. Every, most people had insurance. They bought buy their own insurance, or maybe they get it from the place where they work, um, uh, whether it's the public, public sector or the private sector. 85% of the American people had insurance, and they were happy with it. Well, they were promised again and again. Uh, in fact, the president, uh, Barack Obama, uh, when he was out on the campaign trail, speech trail, making promises and, and trying to drum up support for the Affordable Care Act. Over 20 times it was counted, he promised that 
to the American people that they would not lose their current insurance policy. Well, tens of thousands of consumers have already received health insurance cancellations as of now, and the legislation itself, and apparently the people in the White House didn't read the legislation any more than Congress did, they projected that possibly up to 70% of Americans will lose their health insurance, their current health insurance, 70%. We're talking about 150 million people, about half of the population, that basically uh, are able to buy their own insurance. So this is basically a promise, and we've also discovered that in 2010, they knew this. They knew in 2010 that 70%, up to 70% could lose their health care, the policy that they had. Nonetheless, Obama went out continuously promising that that insurance would be kept. So the Obama administration, like any presidential administration, I suppose, can continually fine-tune their approach, and their promises, uh, things like that. And now we're saying that uh, basically what they meant was, what I meant to say was, or what I, what I should have said was, that Americans could keep their current coverage as long as their plans hadn't changed since the ACA was signed into law, which was 2010. So if your insurance changed between 2010 and 2013, and it probably did change because they change all the time based on the market, well, that's um, basically a rationale and, and making excuses uh, because between two, 2010 and just last week, it was you will not lose your health care insurance. And now millions of people are, are losing it. So what are they going to do? Well, that, I guess that was the object. They're going to sign up for a, the Affordable Care Act or or one of the insurance plans that Affordable Care Act approves. So basically what, what it appears to me that they're doing, and this is very sinister, and nobody has said this out loud, but it appears to me they're trying to funnel the American population into the Affordable Care Act, single-payer system, socialist slash communist, basically. And all of those insurance companies out there will will go to dust they're finished. I think that appears to be the plan. But now let me put it to you this way. Let's say I walk up to you and I say, look, I know you've got a health care plan and I know you've had it for several years and it's, and it's working for you, but let me offer you something better. I've got an insurance plan for you that will give you a lower deductible. Okay? Now, first of all, the premium on my insurance plan, it's going to be $2,500 lower. You're going to save $2,500 a year if you'll buy my plan. Not only that, you're going to have a lower deductible. Now, a deductible is this. Let's say I, have, I find out I have cancer, and the treatment for it is probably going to cost somewhere between $15,000 and $20,000. Well, my insurance plan has a $500 deductible. So, I pay the first $500 and $500 and then basically um, the insurance company and I pay pay the rest. So there's this is what's called a copay. 
Now, I think in, in my plan, uh, right now, the insurance company pays about 80%, and I pay about 20%. It's going to cost me a lot of money. But you know, if I didn't have insurance, I'm just in deep trouble. I wouldn't be able to afford the uh, cancer treatment, the chemotherapy and all of that. So I'm offering you an insurance plan that not only is $2,500 a year less, it has a lower deductible if you have to have some kind of a treatment. It has a lower copay for you, and you will not lose your doctor. So what, would, what do you say? You want to scrap your plan and buy mine? I think you probably would in, if that were real. Because, you know, it's just a, it's an offer you can't refuse. So these are the promises that the White House made, that the Democrats in Congress made. You'll have a premium. You'll go down $2,500. They said that again and again and again. In fact, they're going up by five to $7,000. Lower deductible, $500 is typical, maybe $1,000. Well, they're going up in the vicinity of seven to $9,000 deductible. The copays are going higher, and millions of Americans are not just losing their health care plan, they're also losing their doctor. These were promises that were made again and again and again, and these are promises that were broken. Now, when you stick it to the American people, okay, we're not going to pay much attention to Syria or something stupid that Hillary Clinton said. We'll let that go. We'll let that pass. It's in the news for two or three days, and it's gone. But when you stick it to us, and especially when you stick it to our bank accounts, and you're costing us money, and you lied to us, well, uh, we're going to hold your feet to the fire on that. So right now, Obama's out there. Uh, he seems to be the speaker-in-chief. He's uh, going out and is saying that his health care law is making the insurance market better for everyone. He's saying that now making it better for everyone, even though we've already seen that that's not true. Even though millions of people who buy individual plans have been receiving cancellation notices. That's okay. It's still making it better for everyone. He says they're going to be better off. He said the notices can be scary, but um, often those people with those insurance plans that they lost were getting a very bad deal, and we're going to give you a good one. Do you believe him? Do you believe that? The bottom line is that we're making the insurance market better for everybody, and that's for the right thing to do, he said. Now we see in the news that liberals and Democrats in Congress are wavering. They're beginning to desert the president. Uh, many of the um, Trump propaganda trumpets of the president of the Democratic Party have begun to change their tune. They're beginning to criticize uh, things that have been done in the past and things that are happening now. Uh, Democrats in the Senate and Democrats in the House of Representatives are getting very nervous because election season for 2014 is almost upon us. And they're, the people back in those districts who have lost their insurance, uh, there's a story this morning, a lady in, uh, that was undergoing uh, cancer uh, treatment and um, very serious problem, very intense treatment, very expensive, and she just lost her health care insurance. It's gone. Now what's she going to do? So we're going to tell these people uh, that you're better off. 
liberals are not stupid people. Uh, they're ba basically people with ideals that are different from Americanism, and they want to change America and, in their view, make it a better place. And in some ways, uh, they might be right if it could be done. But they are beginning to criticize the president. They're beginning to criticize the Affordable Care Act. So Democrats in Congress facing re-election, they've got to be thinking, you know, what am I going to say to the people? How am I going to deal with this? One of the things that they could do that's been pointed out, and I have no doubt they're talking about it every day, is they can support legislation that was offered by House Republicans a long time ago when we first started this course that would delay the Affordable Care Act for one year, delay it, and fix it, or decide whether it can be fixed. Just don't do this to the American people. So if Democrats in Congress supported that legislation, it might save their seat in the House or in the Senate. We see that the uh, president's approval rating is descending rapidly. He's now down to 39% and falling, and that was in a Gallup poll released yesterday. Uh, so he is descending very, very rapidly, and basically what happens is that there's a carryover into the next election. So his dissent, his failure, could um, come back to haunt Democratic members of Congress. So this story is far from over. It's going to be around for a long time. This one is not going to go away. As we say in politics, this story has legs. It's not going to fly away. And I would like to say to you, this is why conservatives want limited government. We are seeing government at its worst, and I have been saying for years and years and years, I'm not for the overthrow of government. I'm just saying that government is by its very nature inefficient, and there's a great deal of incompetence. And the bigger it gets, the worse it gets. So do we really want more government? Do we really want to allow the government to take over one-sixth of our economy, which is what the Affordable Care Act does? Or would we prefer limited government where out here in the marketplace you and I are free? So that's the basic question. So keep your eyes on the prize here. Uh, follow this issue. It's not going to go away, and it does have real bearing on your life now and in the future. So if there are any questions um, coming in, we'll take those now. Okay, yes, we have some very good questions. Probably won't surprise you. Um, one of them deals with the questioning um, of the the um, congressman. Anyway, it says, what is the reason behind the two-minute time frame allowed by each representative while questioning a witness as, at these hearings? Some representatives know what they are doing and others are clueless. Why can't those who know how to really interrogate someone get more time? Is it a procedural thing or what? Yeah, it goes clear back to the 19th century. Uh, probably in, uh, when they first started having public hearings, 
uh, one representative would ho hog the floor basically all day long or maybe for two days. Um, wow. And, you know, the people that are coming in for these hearings, these are people that have jobs. I mean, they have responsibilities. They have families. They just can't uh, come to Congress every day for, for a month until every representative gets a chance to ask questions. Uh, so by agreement, um, House rules, Senate rules, uh, they put uh, time restraints on each of the members of Congress, and hopefully they can get the hearing over in a day. Um, so you have two minutes in the first round, and then you have a, there's a, most of, most of the most of the committees, not all, but most of the committees have a rebuttal round uh, where they can uh, speak for a second time for a lesser period of time. Uh, no limits on the uh, answer from the person uh, who is being interviewed, so to speak, but the representatives themselves do have limits, and they can yield their time. Um, representative may only take 30, 30 seconds and yield his time uh, to one of his colleagues. So the rules are it's, it's sort of like state law regarding marriage. It's different in every state, and it's true in the uh, various committees of both houses of Congress, too. But that's a very good question. Um, and another thing is you want to make it fair, and I, I love I love what you said in your question. Um, some of the members are really sharp and some are clueless, and I'm afraid we can't write that into the House rules, that <laughs> clueless uh, senators don't get to ask as many questions or don't get as much time. Okay. Good that's, question. That's funny. Yeah, very good. Okay. Um so you're going to begin now um, with our current issue um, that uh, you were going to start with back when we started these these shows, but there's just been so much uh, going on with our, our politics currently. So um, you're going to start on the topic of abortion. Yeah. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'll, I'll let you go ahead and get started on that and uh, before we went live, I told you that there was a book that I had heard about, um, and I did find it, and I'll share that with you afterwards. Okay. Thank you. All right. All right. Uh, let me begin by uh, reviewing last week very briefly. Uh, we talked about issues, and that's basically an important topic or a problem that we discuss or debate. And uh, it's, it's something that won't go away, something like poverty, something like racism something like inequality of women or minorities, uh, the economic opportunity, um, those kinds of things, issues that simply won't go away. The environment, the environment is dirty. I live in a, a chemical area, and the rate of cancer here is eight times higher than it is in Florida, for example. So the environment is an issue. Uh, this global warming thing, by the way, right now, um, you have to dig to find this. Um, there is a lull in the warming. It is not warming at all, um, according to scientific studies. And the people that are supporting global warming are having a very difficult, their emails indicate they're having a very difficult time explaining uh, why there's a lull in the so-called global warming. And, of course, this would be the transition. We go back into a cooling phase and they're wrong about everything anyway, but um, that's something to look into. The point is, uh, right now, global warming is an issue. And if the global warning, warming advocates can 
uh, promote it and get everybody to believe it. There are billions of dollars of, uh, of money to be made. A lot of people are going to make a lot of money uh, getting research grants, salaries to study it and come up with solutions and so on. Universities will get that money, money. Scientific foundations will get that money. Other countries will get that money. And, um, you know, it's um, something that a lot of people would profit from. Problem is, you and I, the taxpayer, would have to pay for that. We would have to pay that money. So this is an issue. Is the, uh, is the planet warming up or is it not? Okay, so issues. And that's what divides people in government, uh, leadership, conservatives from liberals. Okay? And we, now remember, we all want the same thing in life, really. Um, you know a lot of liberals. I know a lot of liberals. You know a lot of conservatives. I know a lot of conservatives. The people that I spend time with are very good people. And frequently, I don't even know if they're conservative or liberal or what. They're, they're just good people going to work and raising their kids. Uh, and sometimes we have a discussion, and uh, sometimes a discussion is a disagreement, and that's okay. It's always very polite. Uh, we understand and respect each other's points of view, but we, we want the same things. We don't like to see poverty. We don't like to see people suffering. Uh, we want we want freedom. Uh, you know, that's that's the thing about the Affordable Care Act, um, and liberals and conservatives are both concerned about it. Not only does this piece of federal government legislation force people to buy health insurance, whether they want it or not, but it's ca causing them to lose. It's basically telling them what health care they have to have. We've lost a choice. I mean, look, uh, freedom, let's look at freedom as a big ball made up of uh, 10,000 little particles, and each of those particles is a choice that you and I can make. Okay, that's what freedom is. It's a big ball of choices. You start taking those little particles away. You start taking away choices. You're taking away freedom, and you are reducing the size of that ball. And the perspective of, of, of freedom that we enjoy and that Americans have been enjoying since the days of George Washington. Okay, so essentially, conservatives want to protect that ball through limited government. The bigger the government gets, as Thomas Jefferson put it, it's a natural tendency for, for government to gain ground and for liberty to yield. Well, conservatives want to push the clock back on that. We want limited government that does not intrude into our lives, take away our choices, and force us to do things against our will. Liberals want big government. Now, let me qualify that. They don't really want big government. They don't want a Nazi government. They don't want a dictatorship. They don't want something like that. But they want the government to solve the problems. And the problem is a lot of the problems that they want government to solve cannot be solved. I mean, Jesus Christ said, there will be poor always, pathetically struggling. Yet liberals want to eliminate poverty. Lyndon Johnson, back in the 60s, uh, we're going to declare a war on society. Excuse me. We're going to declare a war on poverty. We're going to create the great society. We are going to eliminate poverty in our time. That's idealism, cockeyed idealism. And you can never get there. There will always be poverty, and there will always be criminals. 
and there will always be racists, and there will always be people that cannot support themselves. And there are going to be people that are mentally imbalanced. And we're getting even more of that today because of excessive drug use. But liberals want government to eliminate those problems, not reduce them, eliminate. And that simply cannot be done. And that's one of the fallacies of liberalism is that ideals are there uh, to consider, to contemplate, and even to pursue. But you've got to understand there are limits on how far the kinds of improvements that you want can be measured. All right, so the big difference. Conservatives want limited government. Liberals want government solutions and end up with bigger, more powerful government. Now let's take a look at um, abortion and conservative generally by looking at five main points that liberals make to support abortion and that conservatives make to oppose abortion. Let's take a look at the liberal view first. Number one, a woman has the right to decide what happens with her body. And I'm not going to question these. I'm sure you are questioning that one right now. But I'm not going to do that. I will let you do that. A woman has the right to decide what happens to her body. So they come up with the word pro-choice. And that choice is a beautiful word. That's an aspect of freedom. Secondly, they say a fetus is not a human life. So it does not have separate individual rights. Number three. The government should provide taxpayer-funded abortions for women who cannot afford them. Number four, the decision to have an abortion is a personal choice, there it is, pro-choice, of a woman regarding her own body, and the government must protect this right. Now, notice that number one and four, a woman has has to do with her body. But I would only ask one question. Um, I would ask any pro-choice person that supports these two point of views, okay, sure, I agree 100%. A woman does have the right to decide what happens with her body. But what about that other body, that one in the womb? That's what we're talking about. And number five, women have the right to affordable, safe, and legal abortions, including partial birth abortion. Now, let me read to you. I think you probably know what partial birth abortion is. And it's a, frankly, to me, it's a very disturbing thing. And so I'm going to read a thing rather than try to explain it. It is the killing of an unborn baby of at least 20 weeks by pulling it out of the birth canal with forceps, but leaving the head inside. An incision is made in the back of the baby's neck, and the brain tissue is suctioned out. The head is then removed from the uterus. So number five, women have the right to affordable, safe, and legal abortions, including partial birth abortion. Now that's the extreme view. There are many liberals that don't agree with all of those points. In fact, there are many liberals that would say no to partial birth abortion. There are liberals who say uh, abortion, yes, pro-choice, yes, in the first trimester, the first three months of pregnancy, but not after that. 
unless the mother's life is threatened. Uh, so even within liberal and, and conservative uh, blocks, you find differences of opinion, differences of extremes uh, regarding how far they will go with abortion. Now, uh, let's take a look at the five main points uh, from the conservative view, what we call pro-life. So this is pro-abortion versus anti-abortion. This is pro-choice versus pro-life. All right, number one, I'm sure you know what it is. Think about it. What do you think the first point is going to be? Human life begins at conception. When the sperm finds the ova, a life is created. Secondly, abortion is the murder of a human being. And I don't think anybody could argue, no matter how they tried, that a fetus is a human organism. It's a human thing. Uh, murder is too strong a word. It's the killing of a human being, yes. But murder, no, because abortion is legal. Murder, that's a legal term. Uh, so that's a little strong. Number three, an unborn baby, as a living human being, has separate rights from those of the mother. And we know we know in families today, we know that a lot of times, I hesitate to say frequently, but in a lot of cases, you have uh, a mom and a dad and a little boy that's seven years old and a little girl that's four years old. And a lot, a lot of times parents abuse those children. They abuse them physically and sometimes sexually. So do these kids have rights? Well, according to you know legalism, they don't have any constitutional rights until they're 18 years old. That's when they can vote. But do they have rights before that? Does a an unborn child have rights? Does fetus have rights? I thought I wasn't going to do this. Well, here I am. I'm going to stop. All right, so um, an unborn baby, number three, as a living human being, has separate rights from those of the mother. Number four, conservatives oppose taxpayer-funded abortion because it's a question of conscience. Should a person who, in terms of, of their religion and their conscience, have deep, abiding feelings about abortion, should they be required to pay for this procedure? Number five, uh, conservatives support legislation to prohibit partial birth abortions. And this is called the Partial Birth Abortion Ban. And that law was passed in 2002 or 2003, and it was upheld by the Supreme Court in 2007. So for all intents and purposes, although it's still being done, the procedure is unconstitutional. So those are basically uh, main points in this argument. Now let's take a look at the situation today. And I know that this will disturb many of you, and it disturbs me too. I really, it's not a topic that I really enjoy talking about. Sometimes I'm amazed. I wake up in the morning and think, wow, I live in a society that kills babies. It's a, it's a hard thing to deal with. And sometimes it's just, uh, you have to suspend disbelief to accept the fact that, that you live in a country where this is permitted. Well, there were 
1.36 million abortions in 1996. And if something has happened, and I think I know what it is, although I'm not absolutely certain, maybe some of you could help me out. That was 1996. Well, in 2002, six years later, that number had decreased down to 1.31 million. In 2008, it had decreased again down to 1.21 million. Now remember, we said 1.36 in 1996. In 2008, 1.21. So it's decreasing. And I think that probably what happened was this hideous thing called partial birth abortion. It was in the news, and it was in the news a lot, and it was uh, not as much as the Affordable Care Act is today, but it was um, really out there, and very few Americans were able to escape that discussion. And Americans basically rejected that practice. That's why the law was passed successfully, and that's why uh, the Supreme Court upheld it. It's just um, something very, very difficult to justify, and that law was passed in 2003. So from 1973 through 2008, why do I say 1973? How many of you know? What happened in 1973? If you said Roe versus Wade, you would be right. So from 1973 through 2008, nearly 50 million legal abortions have occurred in the United States. Somebody called this genocide. Others have called it a holocaust. 50 million. The Nazis killed 6 million Jews. We have killed 50 million fetuses. That's a 35-year spin. Okay, let's take a, um, a look at the history of this difficult issue. And I think you are going to be very surprised. It really begins, a lot of, most people that I talk to, and I have to always straighten them out, believe that it started in 1973. And any time something happens, any time at all, okay, something happens in 2004, uh, the Civil Rights Act was passed. Something happens in 1919, the Versailles Treaty and the League of Nations. Everybody thinks that there's the beginning point. And that's not, there's always a pathway, sometimes surprisingly long, that has been out there, and people have been talking about it and fighting about it and arguing about it and voting about it for years and years and years, and then all of a sudden, boom, comes a big event. So that big event was Roe versus Wade, but what about the pathway towards Roe versus Wade? How long is it? Well, folks, it goes all the way back to 1700, and that is before Jamestown was settled. That's before our ancestors started coming across the ocean and establishing colonies. It had legalized abortion, had become common law in Great Britain, and it spread, of course, to the British colonies on the eastern coast of what's now the United States. So at that point, all states permitted abortion. In the 1700s, every state, every colony, 
all 13 of them, permitted abortion before what they called the quickening, which is essentially when fetal movement can be perceived. So that could be a very long time. I'm, I'm not sure. I've never had a baby myself. But I think around five or six months uh, would be the quickening. That's when you can detect fetal movement. I'm not sure. I'm sure one of you moms will straighten me out if I'm wrong. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's, abortion is being practiced legally in Britain in all 13 colonies. Well, that's going to change in America. I don't know what happened over in Britain, but in America there was a second great awakening, a huge, powerful, religious, evangelical movement that spread throughout the United States. God gives life. God takes away life. So it started up in Massachusetts and spread to every state. Every state began to pass laws in one form or another banning abortion throughout pregnancy. Some of those states allowed exceptions when a woman's life was in danger, but most of them not even then. It was not human's right to interfere with the processes of life. That was God. All right, so this basically state law is being passed. State law is dealing with abortion. State law is essentially banning abortion. And that is all well and good. That is right because abortion is not mentioned in the Constitution. And I'm not going to have you look at the 10th Amendment again. You've seen it a few times. So abortion, along with anything else not mentioned in the Constitution, is reserved to the states. So that was all well and good. In 1962, now John Kennedy is the president. He is Catholic. And nonetheless, we are entering into a liberal period. Uh, where there is a liberal agenda, we have the civil rights movement, the anti-war movement, the women's rights movement, the environmental movement, several others, where people have coalesced, come together, and decided they're going to change America and make it a better place for everybody. Well, that's a goal I can support, so let me hear the details, and then I'll tell you whether I support it or not. But the point is, um, we do enter, enter into this liberal period, and it's still going on today. In fact, they have had such success, they were able to elect the first liberal president. So anyway, from 1962 to Roe versus Wade in 1973, 17 states began to amend their laws to allow abortions in such cases as rape, health risks, fetal damage, threat to the life of the mother, and incest, that is essentially rape within a family, usually a father and a daughter or an older brother and a daughter. So states began to amend their laws to allow abortion in those cases. I remember um, thinking and uh, wondering back in 2001 or 2002, I heard President George Bush, Republican and purportedly conservative say um, that he believed that abortion was was acceptable in the case of rape, incest, or threat to the life of the mother. And I've been thinking about that ever since. So there are many Republicans who agree that abortion, in some cases at least, ought to be legal. 
So 17 states begin this amendment process, and they were liberal states, still are today, states like Hawaii, New York, Washington, California. And they would allow the, the, the procedure, now get this, whenever a woman and her doctor deem it necessary. So if a woman, uh, her daughter is pregnant, she's 15 years old, she takes her daughter to the physician and they make a strong case as to why this would destroy the daughter's life and all that stuff, and the doctor says, oh, okay. That's all it takes. Well, Pennsylvania, by the way, in this time period, was the only state to lift um, its total ban on the procedure. I mean, it was the only state that did not take away the ban. And then in, in January 22, 1973, thunderstruck uh, Roe versus Wade. Now, we had a very liberal Supreme Court at this time, the Burger Court, and we named the courts after the last name of whoever is Chief Justice. This was Warren Burger, and we had seven liberals and two conservatives on that court. And a young woman whose name was Norma McCovey um, found herself, much to her displeasure, to be pregnant, and she wanted an abortion. She went to a hospital and she asked for one. And the gentleman, a Mr. Wade, uh, who was a hospital administrator, uh, explained to her that it was against the law and she couldn't do that. Well, a couple of ACLU attorneys, and remember, these are basically socialist, communist origin uh, types, um, have been advertising for someone who is pregnant that wants an abortion, uh, give us a call. And so Norman McCovey called them and they filed suit. And they lost in the Texas court. They appealed it and lost in the Texas Supreme Court. They appealed it to the United States Supreme Court, and they won on a vote of 7-2. to two. So the justices essentially ruled that the United States Constitution guarantees women a right to privacy in deciding whether to end a pregnancy. Now, you can read the Constitution 5,000 times, and you can read it... Um, forward 2,500 times and backwards the other 25, you can get a uh, 2,500, you can get a magnifying glass and read it and you will not find anything about pregnancy or a woman's right to privacy anywhere in the Constitution. The justices ruled that the United States Constitution guarantees women a right to privacy in deciding whether to end a pregnancy. The Constitution simply does not do that. But seven liberals found the language. I don't know. Maybe they were using drugs at the time, LSD or something like that, that, that permitted it. So as a result of this case, states could no longer prohibit abortion, except late in pregnancy in most states, after a fetus reaches viability and can live outside the womb. Even then, states must allow abortions when necessary to save a, a, the mother's life or to protect her health in some way if the um, hospitals and doctors are very, very sure that it would have a deleterious effect on her health. So that's Roe versus Wade in a nutshell. I would like to point out that Norma McCovey, uh, of course, this thing stretched out for two years. She had her baby, and um, her baby uh, grew up and became a young woman and is now a grown woman, and they have a very nice relationship. Norma McCovey changed her mind. She deeply regrets her role in this Supreme Court case, and she is an activist. 
She is a pro-life activist today. I remember once I saw a um, a pro-life ad. I think it was put out by the Church of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. I'm pretty sure it was, but I may be wrong. But it showed a young lady. Uh, she was, oh, I don't know, 18 or 19 years old, and uh, her little girl was in a swing, and she was pushing the swing. And back and forth the swing went, and as the swing moved, the child began to fade, and then the child was gone, and the swing held still. And then we see the young mother's face, a face filled with grief, because she had had an abortion. And so the ad was basically, um, are you sure you want to do this uh, type of thing? And I've been thinking about that ever since. You know, it, any woman who has an abortion and is convinced or persuaded, uh, brainwashed that it is the right, correct thing to do, but I think that any woman who allows the destruction of her child is going to be haunted for the rest of her life. So this is not just a terrible thing uh, to do to the child, to the fetus, to the baby. It's, it's a terrible thing to do to the mother. And Norma McCovey gives testament to that with her regret that she was ever that she ever considered destroying her daughter. And I think we'll stop right there for today. Um, I'll, we'll take questions and we'll commence at this point next week. Very good. Thank you. And uh, that is a very hot topic. And uh, on the handout, I have... Um, a few places that you can look at for some uh, scientific discussion um, about, um, you know, like what what a mother can hear uh, during pregnancy and, and things like that. And for those of you uh, that are listening that are in the homeschool world, uh, you have heard of Dr. Jay Weil, and um, he has a lot of good information on his website. Um, the most current one is... Um, that you know it has to do with uh a baby being able to hear um a mother and and her voice and so um it's really a cool article so i will list those on the handout um there is a question here uh well it's more of a statement um and it says um it's sad that when we had less knowledge of what a baby was you know that the law was passed and it, and it says like now we can see in 3D a baby moving, sucking their thumb, and searching around, and many argue that it is not a baby. It seems like upside-down logic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that reminds me of when I was a boy back in the 50s. I think I was in high school in the biology class, and the book had uh, pictures of uh, fetuses in the, in the mother's womb, and uh, I remember my heart being warmed by that. Um, and of course, it was upside down. It was all curled up, and uh, the head was, uh, you know, very well shaped, and the fingers and the toes and so on. And I, ju I just remember that that was just seemed to me, even though I was uh, that was a dumb, dumb kid, dumb boy, <laughs> uh, you know, who'd never be pregnant. Um, I found that heartwarming. I really did. Right. And, and now today, with technology that 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 you just mentioned. Um, it's even more powerful, I think, than it ever was before. Oh, it, it really is, and uh, you know, there's so much that can that can be seen now. So, 
Um, you know, it really, it really is an agenda. Um, so as I was sharing with you before we went live today, I heard, um, and the gentleman's name is Clark Forsythe, and he is a lead counsel with the Americans United for Life. It's the ALU.org. And he wrote a book uh, that was published in October of 2013 uh, called The Abuse of Discretion, the Inside Story of, of Roe versus Wade. And um, what he did was he looked up a lot of the uh, documents that were available, not available um, for many years and are available now. And so he, he was able to study those, those documents. So um, that looks like it's a it's a good book. I guess I'm looking here now. I guess the book was published in October 2013. So he, um, you know, it, it looks like a good book that would be worth reading. Yeah, uh, there are several out there. I mean, there are people that have spent uh, good portions of their lives studying this issue in great detail, and they uh, they have very convincing stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, full of facts, uh, the truth. And we don't always get that when we um, follow the news because we're basically getting the political spin. Right, right. And and it is important that, you know, um, part of the, of the show really is encouraging us to make informative decisions. And I think if any, uh, if there was ever any example, um, that is this, um, you know, this horrible law that was passed and uh you know especially now that um you know there's such regret um on the part of the mother that yes. you know we need to yes. to realize that so you know it's while it's a, a horrendous thing you know we can definitely uh learn from this mistake so um well I don't see any other questions um here pertain- pertaining uh to this topic but we will uh reconvene uh next week with another session, and uh, um, I, I appreciate it. So thank you so much. Okay. Everybody have a great week, and keep following the news. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com. See you next week.